All right, it's Wednesday, might be Thursday, Friday, I don't know, it depends on when you listen. But anyways, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Dara Cutter, Cutter Services, LLC. He's a guide on the Chippewa Flowage, so we're going to be dialing back up to northern Wisconsin to talk about current conditions, how to break down big water. We'll talk about, we'll do five questions. We did that last week with Glenn McDonald, so um, just kind of something to add a little bit of, I don't know, a little little something different to the podcast so we're not doing the same thing every single week as always i'm joined by my co-host brad hoppy with musky mayhem tackle and brad it's father's day so you know this is what you know we do on uh, on father's day we don't sit on the couch and you know hang out with the family we uh we record and edit podcasts so that's awesome i'm very excited to be here on uh, on this father's day yeah well it's late on father's day and uh we're maybe a little bit ahead of normal schedule in the last couple of weeks, anyhow. Yeah, well, I think if I remember right, the Glenn McDonald episode we recorded about less than uh, not twelve hours, but it was very fresh content. Let's just say that probably like fourteen or so hours before uh, release. So we were, you know, like I said, we had some very fresh content at that one with uh, with Glenn last week. So it's good to have a little extra editing time. I got more than, uh, you know, it's not. Hey, um, we're done right now. I literally need to get back to editing immediately to get this one out for the week. <laughs> well, for whatever reason, I know you're a busy man, and so am I, and it sometimes just kind of gets all crammed together, Jeff. But we have not missed a Wednesday yet. I don't think we're planning on it. So anyway, kudos to you because you, uh, you're the one that does the most work. Yeah, well... Uh, I appreciate that, but uh, yeah, hopefully we don't miss any Wednesdays any anytime soon. That's not the plan. We're, uh, you know, the the cool thing about it is, I mean, we're driving towards a big milestone, Brad. I I don't know if we'd hit it necessarily this season. We would, we'll definitely hit three quarters of a million downloads here, you know, very soon. But we're driving towards a million total downloads on the podcast. So, um, you know, we we want to thank all of our listeners, all of our loyal listeners for. Uh, you know, dialing up the podcast every single week. And if you're, you know, if there's something you, if there's a guest you want us to get on, or if there's a, uh, you know, a certain topic you want covered, or you want to hear more of a certain thing, you could certainly send us an email, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Don't be too surprised if you don't get a uh, instant response, because we don't monitor that, that email that often. Uh, you can also use uh, Instant Messenger or, or um, you know, PM us or DM us or whatever on our very social platforms. We have Backlash Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram, so you can definitely uh, get in touch with us there if there's something that you would like more of uh, or less of. If it's me and Brad, unfortunately, you're not going to get a whole lot less of us, but maybe me. We'll get Brad on more often, Brad. You can just be the host for now on. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> I can interject here and there. How's that sound? Absolutely. So since, uh, let's see here, it's been a little over a week, since, or not not over a week, it's been a little less than a week since we recorded our last podcast. Have you been on the water since then? I would assume the answer is yes, but I also know that you guys are very, very busy with making bucktails. Uh, we are very busy, but uh, yes, I was on the water all this past week, basically since our last recording. So been out pretty much every day, Jeff, and, you know, some things have uh, changed a little bit. We've had some smoke cover come in here, so we had some hazy days, and we even got a little bit of cloud cover. Unfortunately, our little bit of rain we got uh, Saturday was short but sweet, put it that way. We put the rain gear on for maybe 10 minutes and basically peeled them back off, so we need some rain over here. It's really dry. 
but with the smoke haze and the cloud cover that we had and a little cooler temperatures, it's quite amazing. Yesterday on the water, it was 69 degrees on the surface, so quite the change from uh, a week ago, put it that way. Yeah, which is, you know, very welcome. I'm, I'm sure of it. You know, Brad, I'm a, I'm guessing the answer is no, but did you get my little package that I sent you yet with the uh, new Gold Rush Cisco Grandma, which you can now find on TeamRhinoOutdoors.com? Did that come yet, or are we still waiting on that one? I'm still waiting. I'm, I'm guessing I'll see it tomorrow, would be my guess. Yes, but, uh, hopefully very soon, because I would like you to get that thing chewed on. Yeah, absolutely. It's a hot-looking color. Uh, the first thing I said is, uh, yes, please. When you sent me the initial picture, so <laughs> I'm excited. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of that, if you are looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com where your source for many, many different custom exclusive colors. I know, uh, you know, grandmas are one thing we've been talking about. We've gotten a bunch of different colors of those. We have, I don't even know how many co- exclusives in there now, six probably, I think they're working on a couple additional ones. If you're looking for, you know, Medusas, we have piles of that. And we have, you know, 60-some-odd colors in Pro Mag Bulldogs. If you're looking for the Trigger, I don't know, Brad, how many colors we got in Trigger? 60-plus maybe somewhere in that ballpark? Uh, you're stretching my brain there. I, I don't know how many customs we do. <laughs> it's a lot, put it that way. But uh, Far too many. It, it's good stuff. I mean, it, it's definitely provides people with the opportunity to change things up and kind of stand out away from the crowd. And that's what team Rhino is good at. So it's awesome to see all those custom colors, a little bit of a pain in the butt for us, but you know what? It's worth doing. And if you know, so you can find us all at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. And then Brad, the other person we'd like to uh, get people to shop with is you guys over there at Muskie Mayhem Tackle. I know you guys have the, uh, you know, largest selection of different options for bladed baits. And so why don't you talk a little bit more about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can find us. We're the, uh, the original big bladed flasher boo baits and uh, been in business for about 18 years. And you can check us out at muskiemayhemtackle.com. So you can also follow us on social media platforms, both Facebook as well as Instagram. But uh, check out the website. If you got any questions, uh, feel free to email. All right, Brad. Well, Another week of the podcast is uh, upon us. Let's uh, just get out there and dial up our conversation we had with Dara Cutter. All right. Our guest this week is Dara Cutter, Cutter Services, and he's guiding out of Chippewa Flowage. Great place up in northern Wisconsin, lots of water, and so we're excited to uh, to talk about northern Wisconsin. We've been kind of everywhere around the block the last handful of weeks. We haven't really hit up northern wisconsin that much since i think the northern wisconsin opener so dara i want to thank you for uh taking time on a sunday night to talk musky fishing with us and uh, i'm i'm just going to start it off with you you know it's your first time on the podcast yeah as per usual we like to get a little history and some background so why don't you kind of talk to us about you know what got you bitten by the musky bug and then let's talk about your uh your guide service well, first off, thank you so much you guys having me out here. Um, long-time listener of the podcast. Part of what's gotten me so into muskie fishing all throughout my life is uh, kind of a mix of, of family influences and then um, being so blessed as to grow up and uh, kind of have so many of my, my youth years shaped by the Chippewa flowage itself. As a kid, we, we grew up, my dad was heavy into muskie fishing and always kind of pushing my brother and I with it. 
I tell you what, for the first 10 years or so, I hated muskie fishing. I cursed it every time I went out. It was just, you know, trying to throw bulldogs through the weeds. And I was just a kid and I, we never caught anything. And I just drove me nuts. But then uh, what, what finally really got me hooked into it is I was out here fishing on the Chippewa flowage. And I picked up a pink spoon. My dad was like, you can't throw pink spoon. Muskies don't eat on spoons. I was like, man, I'm going to throw this pink spoon and I'm going to catch a fish. And, um, I had a fish come up right, right at the boat side, probably a low thirties to be honest, but it came from behind the bait, swam up in front of the bait, did a 180 nose dive and turned back down and it pinned it on, on the, the bottom of the lake. And I had just never seen a fish act that way. And ever since then, I've just been kind of hooked on musky fishing and uh like i said I, I grew up fishing on the chippewa flowage it kind of started out as we'd come up here for a week a year and then it's a week here with a couple of weekends in the spring and the fall and then we bought seasonal places here and now my whole family's out here all the time but um, because of that I've, I've really been blessed to be surrounded by a lot of really good fishermen a lot of really good guides and, and a strong tradition of um, kind of how, how we approach and break down such a body of water both as musky anglers and as uh, as multi-species anglers. So that's kind of the, the long and short of it, I guess. Um, my, my love for musky fishing. <laughs> it's a, maybe a, a torturous love, but nothing better really at the end of the day. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the guide service then. So when did you decide yeah. that this was a good idea, that you wanted to take it even farther? Just being a musky angler wasn't enough. Now you wanted to guide for him. You know, so it was... Um, few years back i started fishing um some of the the musky tournaments that travel around like the pmtt and whatnot and um i i got to be friends with through that um ty senate who's been a, a long time guide for my dad and just a long time local friend up on the chip but but he and i got to know each other better doing these tournaments and um i was bartending up here at the time and a lot of times people be like oh you should really get into guiding and then Ty and I got to be friends and he took me out fishing a couple times and he was like, you really need to start guiding out here. Um, and at first I was kind of torn cause I, all I really wanted to guide for was muskies. I, I love fishing muskies. That's what I want to do every day, but it kind of became obvious to me early on that if I wanted to fish and guide muskies all the time in this area, I'd probably need to bounce around lake to lake. Um, so it was kind of a decision between being a multi-species guide here on the Chippewa flowage and being a musky guide in the Hayward area. Um, and I decided I wanted to be here on the chip. So that's kind of where I got into musky guiding was, was kind of that influence of the friends and family. And then, um, you know, kind of decided to expand it and go full time with, with the multi-species stuff. So like right now, um, up through the second week of August, I, I kind of run whatever my clients want to fish for. Um, if they want to go for muskie or walleye or bass or whatever, we will, um, if they're just looking to get out and fish, uh, I'm usually able to say, okay, well, you know, this week the bluegills are really aggressive or the pike are really aggressive, the perch. So, um, that kind of keeps us in a, in a fun spot too, just for people that are looking to get out and be on the water and, and have some action. This is such a big, diverse body of water that, there's fish biting all the time. So if what you're trying to catch isn't biting, sometimes all you have to do is pivot and, you know, put down the musky rod, pick up a bluegill rod and, and you're just going to have a ton of fun. I think we've been putting like two to 300 bluegills in the boat every day these last few weeks. And, 
a lot of 10, 11 inch bluegills. And I, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, I think one thing, and you know, Brad, you can kind of weigh in on this. Sometimes like musky guides, they sort of, uh, I don't know, they handcuff themselves a little bit because they want to fish for muskies all the time, but they aren't willing to, you know, do that multi-species guiding. And I think in a lot of cases it actually costs them some, you know, some business. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the other thing is like musky guiding on a, on a place like the chip. Um, you know, so I, this is, me personally, I have a goal this year for me and my clients to have a hundred muskies in the boat by the end of the year. And I've, I've said all along that if I can hit 10 to 20, by the time, uh, mid August rolls around, I'm more than on pace for that hundred number. So like fishing muskies on the Chippewa flowage in the summertime, it's a ton of fun, but also there's some days that you really get defeated. And if you can turn around and pick up a bluegill rod or, or a crappie rod and, and go kind of tap in with that fishery as a whole, not only can you have some fun and build some confidence, it'll end up kind of keying you in on where the muskies are more aggressive or where they're more, more active, where they're hunting, because that's where the bait fish are, you know, and that's uh, a system like this where the forage is, um, you know, sport fish it's it's a lot of fun to be able to kind of see how doing this multi-species fishing will make you a better musky angler i know for me that was one of the biggest improvements that i've seen in my own musky fishing on this body in the last five years was when i really started to get more into the walleye and the panfish i'd spend less time musky fishing and catch more fish just because i was more in tune with what was happening on the fishery as a whole I think it's twofold too, in the sense that you actually have more clientele base then as well. So mm-hmm. you know, you're at definitely in a destination spot. Being on the chip is is an area that tons of people come from from Chicago, Minneapolis. So you, you're a destination vacation area, and if you're multi species guiding, you're definitely going to just fill your date book. Absolutely. And I have a ton of clients that, you know, they'll book with me to go do some multi-species fishing whenever they're up here, but they're out here and they want to talk about musky fishing. They've heard the stories of the Chippewa flowage muskies. And now they've, you know, now they've got a trip with me in July that they're up here for their family vacation. We're doing some pan fishing, but now they're coming back up in October to go chase after big muskies once the water levels are starting to drop and they move into the shallows. And so it's just, there's a lot of fun that dynamic that goes between those two things. Like you said, it is such a destination location. Like it's got something for everybody too, whether you want to come up here for a serious hardcore fishing trip, or you want to come up for a a fun family vacation, you know, there's a time of year and a place for everybody on this lake. Um, So it it is good, I think, to be diverse. And um, even the most successful muskie guides in this lake's history have been multi-species guides. You know, that's just, a, it's a mix of the clientele that you get and, and that um, tuned in nature to the fishery. So I got to ask you, how often do you leave the chip and start fishing some of the other area lakes over there? Because there's a ton of them and uh, a lot of those lakes provide a ton of good fishing. You know what? They really do, but never. I never leave the chip. Um, the only lake in the area that I, the, okay, I shouldn't say never. There's two times that I've, I'm interested in leaving the chip ever to go to another area. Like the first is once the ice comes on in the chip, some of the deeper, um, clear bodies still have open water. So I'll go over there and do some fishing just because I can't get in on the chip anymore. 
Um, the other thing is uh, Le Couture, which is a, like very near me, has Cisco in it. And that's the one thing that we don't have on the Chippewa Flow, just Cisco. So I, I haven't done it yet, but I long-term really want to get kind of dialed in and figuring out when that Cisco spawn is happening and have some spots to go fish on round lake to fish that spawn. Um, just because, like I said, there, there's no, no Cisco on the chip. There's not many lakes in the area that, that have a lot of Cisco. So there's, there definitely are times um, where I'm starting to get in my own head and, and I'm struggling with confidence that I think, oh, you know, maybe I'll run up to uh, Lost Land or Teal or Spider. Maybe, you know, I'll go do some spring bass fishing out on Big Sis of Agama or run up to Namakagan. And, but then this is such a great body of water and there's so much diversity here that it kind of is a moment where I'm like, no, you just figure out why you're not getting fish right now in this body of water. Um, cause it's happening. There's fish out here that are biting all the time. So I, I just really never leave it. <laughs> well, it's amazing, you know, and I think tournaments kind of pronounce this quite often, but you know, it, it's crazy. Somebody's always catching, whether it be muskies or something else. But uh, like if you talk to 20 muskie guys that pull off the lake and, and 19 of them might've had the worst day of their life one guy still caught. And so there's always a way to catch fish mm-hmm. and, and I don't care what species it is, but staying on one body of water can definitely benefit you as, as a guide, as a fisherman as well, because you can be dialed in then. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that's even days when I, um, you know, like I don't, I don't book trips every day of the week cause I, I need time to do my laundry and, and eat food and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, even on my days off, I go out and fish, um, a body like this, it's crazy how much it changes day to day. Even, you know, there's definitely guides that guide this whole area that come out here on the chip and they have some success, but that's a really tough way to fish the chip. Um, it's, it's much, much easier to always be on this body of water and always kind of tapped into, um, what's happening here. I even, read fishing reports from other fisheries in the area and they're just so different from what we're having success with out here that, you know, you could be fishing on, on another lake, another small lake in this area and be doing something successful, try and bring it over here and the patterns two weeks ahead of it or, or a week behind it or whatever it might be. It just, it's just not the same. So. All right. Well, Dara, we did this last week with uh, Glenn McDonald, and we're talking five questions. Let's start it off, and uh, you know, we're not okay. looking to get real deep into them, but let's just uh, you know, kind of get your thoughts on a few things. Like I said, nothing real groundbreaking. We're just kind of you know, getting people to know a little bit more about you. So yep. if we got to choose a bulldog or a medusa, which one are you going to go with? Oh, that's a really tough one. I love rubber, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of both baits. Uh, right now, I'm really excited about medusas specifically the mid-size medusa um i've always done pretty well on that up here in the summer months and we're just kind of starting to get to those water temps for what we're seeing that bite turn on so um i actually just went and bought a bunch of <laughs> mid medusas the other day myself to get ready for it so i got i gotta go with that one right now all right are we gonna go with a suic or a bobby bait oh uh, i'll do the suic uh, bobby baits are, are nice baits, but, uh, that I, especially the, the big Suix and I'm also a huge fan of the high impact plastic Suix. I know that's kind of sacrilegious. The wood Suix is, is the classic, but, uh, those high impact plastic ones are so consistent and so durable. Um, and 
you know, almost all of them run well right out the box. Um, I spend so much time tuning those wood suics and I still have plenty of them myself. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's amazing how consistent those, those plastic ones are. All right. Well, not part of the five questions. Have you seen the new adjustable weight system high impact suics? Oh yeah. I, I'm really excited about those. I've got, I picked up a couple of them. Um, and I know that they're working on a, a 10 inch version of it with the, uh, adjustable weight, which is again, just to me, that's like kid in a candy store bait when I see that coming out. All right. Moving on. Lawrence Garmin or hummingbird. You know, so I'm a, I'm kind of a, a Northwoods, Wisconsin guy. So I'm all about the side imaging and not really much into live imaging. And so I go with hummingbird big fan of the uh the side image clarity there with hummingbird as well as kind of the user interface um that being said i played with the live stuff a little bit ice fishing and uh garmin seems to have kind of a leg up on that that avenue and i've thought about getting one of the ice fishing rigs and putting it in my boat for pan fishing in the spring and, and i think i'd go with garmin on that one all day all right. Now, are you one of these guys that wants to run and gun on spots, or are you going to slow down and hit less spots, but you're going to pick them apart more thoroughly? I'm uh, definitely a running gun fisherman. Um, part of that is just fishing on a body as big as the Chippewa flowage. There's a million spots out here that hold muskies. I, the, the numbers of fish, different fish that we've seen on different spots is really mind-boggling. And so it's tough for me to sit and stay on any one spot, even if I know it has a fish on it all day, because back to what we were saying earlier, something's biting and I could sit here and wait for this fish to turn on all day. But if we run and gun, we might, you know, find three fish that are ready to go on that given day. Um, and even if we put the same number of fish in the boat at the end of the day, we get more chances at them and we, we see a lot more. So, um, I think, you know, it does depend a little bit on, what style of water I'm fishing, but for a big, um, darker water flowage like this, I'm a running gun guy all day. All right. Lastly, not necessarily a one, you know, one word answer type of a deal. Um, describe your ideal musky day. I guess I would say weather wise. Yeah. You know, it's really tough. So again, I'm a running gun kind of guy and I'm a tournament guy at heart. So I, I'm really happy chasing after 40 inch muskies all day um, and just catching a bunch of them. So I think with that in mind, my kind of ideal weather day, um, I love when we've been getting two or three days of consistent wind patterns um, because that kind of pushes a lot of the bait fish around on this lake and kind of helps me key in on where they might be located. Um, and then if I can get kind of like a partially cloudy, um, still in a warming trend or, or a cooling trend in the fall, I guess, but, um, just kind of consistency in the, the temperature and that wind, that's going to help me kind of dial in what sort of areas I, I'm looking for. To me, the best muskie fishing days are always, you know, after mid August, once the, that summer peak hits and, and the water temps start coming down. Yeah, just a little bit of chop, a little bit of slightly cloudy every once in a while, a little bit of sun too, just because I, I really do like fishing shade lines as well. And uh, so I, I do like sunny days, but that's kind of the ideal weather setup for me. 
um, you know, we've had a, we've had a number of those days out here in the last couple of years, you know, especially in September and October, but just very quickly turn into, you know, multiple fish days and days where, you know, we're, we're having six, seven shots at a fish and like, you know, I mean, hooks in their mouth, they, they took a bite at it. That's, that's kind of the, the ideal conditions to me. It's interesting you talked about shade lines there. I don't know that's really mm-hmm. something that we've touched on a ton. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what's the pattern there? Is it simply simply you're looking to find that spot that's, you know, providing cover? Is it a, is it a dock thing? Is it you know, overhanging limbs? Like, what's the story with uh, mm-hmm. shade? You know, it can be a lot of different things. Um, but one thing I've just kind of come to see about muskies is, they're opportunistic predators. They're looking to ambush something when it's not suspecting it. So what, where I first started to notice it actually was fish coming out from underneath the boat on figure eights. And I'm like, why is this fish sitting underneath my boat? You know, I've seen fish follow in on a bait and then I'll see that fish hit a different bait six casts later. So it's been sitting underneath the boat the whole time. Um, and what I started to pick up on that is just that that's another point for them to kind of hide in and ambush out of. So what I wound up doing, um, so much of our fishing here on the chip is, is shallow up against shore. So you're going to have all sorts of different options that create shade, whether it's a, a lay down or just a high tree line or, or a dock system. I just like, I pause every bait when I hit that shade line. So if I'm working a, a suic or a vexer, which are really, really common baits for me to be throwing. Um, I'm, you know, ripping them up until I hit that shade point, And then I'm letting those things come all the way up to the surface and then giving them a rip down again. Bulldogs, medusas, I'm working them out to that shade line and then I'm dropping them to the bottom when we hit that sunny spot. Bucktails, you know, it's a really quick pause because you don't want your blades to stop spinning really, but just kind of like jerk it a little bit just to give it something um, to kind of trigger them at that point. Um, because that's a spot that muskies oftentimes will be looking to sit there and prepare to to hit at. Um, so just giving them something a little erratic at that, that point of transition can be really effective. Probably, probably the Vexor is my favorite bait for that. Um, you know, it's got that nice bill, gives a ton of wobble to it and I can see those baits pretty well in the water too, or, or feel them. So I know when I'm hitting that shade transition line. Um, and we've, I've put a few fish in the boat doing that. Just again, hanging that pause right when it comes into the sun. You're true. Ty Senate disciples. What the word to <laughs> what you, he said, he said vexer, Brad. I don't know that I've heard that word too often. <laughs> well, the, the state, the shade thing is something that Ty discussed with me. I don't even know how many years ago. It's been a long time since I fished with Ty, but we definitely use that to our advantage. And we were basically using tree lines at sunset to uh, take advantage mm-hmm. of those lines. And if you think about it, I I was just going back in my mind, thinking back to some other podcasts that we've done in the past. And I believe Herbie was one of the guys that we were talking about. And we were talking about transitions. You know, you have bottom structure transitions. You have a water temp or a water. Well, temps could be a transition as well, right? If you you see some warm mm-hmm. water line and a cool water line, another transition. And there's no question about it. Your, your bottom, hard to soft bottom. 
it's a transition line. And for whatever reason, all of those transition lines are kind of fish highways, if you will. And they are going to use those transition lines. So you, you can benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, they love these, whether it's any sort of transition, they love it. The other thing that we, I look out a ton for on the chip, I love getting out here as soon as the ice comes off the water. Um, the chip being a flooded um, forest system, there are a bunch of man-made structures that sit on the bottom of this lake. And come the midsummer months, there's enough weed growth or, or muck buildup everywhere that you can't see these man-made structures. But it'll be something like a, a pylon for a bridge or, or a sunken car or a foundation from a house. And during the summertime, you will see uh, bait fish come and kind of pot up over these these little spots. And if you're going around midsummer with your you know side imaging going, you're never going to be able to figure out why they're on this spot other than there's a pot of fish there. But those have become big things that I'll use for open water casting too with rubber baits in the summer months. Um, because I know that, okay, pure six waypoints on my graph that I know I've got just this small little transition from that, that man-made structure to a, a, you know, natural structure. Bait fish are going to be potted up on that. I want to cast in and, and kind of scare the, those bait fish into moving and trigger the muskie that's kind of following them around at that point. I think one of the interesting things that I've seen over the years, and this is way back in the black days and probably 2003, 2006, whatever, somewhere in that time frame. But on the north end, there was an old fish house frame that sat on the bottom of the lake, right? And it was mm-hmm. probably in two to three feet of water. And what blew my mind is only three corners of that fish house frame were exposed in the sand. The, the fourth one was just kind of slightly buried. And bizarre enough, you would see three muskies one on each one of those corners. And, and all it was was like, say, two by two angle iron. But that was enough of a, a change in that bottom content that they actually mm-hmm. hung on. Well, some of the slightest, smallest little things, they will relate to it. And again, those are transition lines as well. It, it's remarkable. One stock of cabbage, one stock of coontail, doesn't matter. One stock mm-hmm. might be enough to hold that fish if everything else around it is bald. So definitely things to think about. Yeah. And the other fun thing is like, once you kind of start to figure out where some of these transition points are at, I found that fish behave very differently in in different points. Um, So specifically I had this one fish last year that I uh, first made contact with uh, opening weekend here on the chip. We were fishing in in the opening of of a bay you know, and we're casting in some stumps that I really like. And this fish follows in on a bulldog, swims around the boat. I get a little bit of a look at it. I, it's a nice fish, right? Now, I kind of know that area a lot, fish it for all sorts of different fish, and I kind of looked for that fish on side imaging. It had a pretty distinctive marking just because of the size of it. And I was able to comfortably say that I found that fish about another dozen times throughout the summer and the fall in different points within a couple hundred yards of where I'd first made contact with it. It wound up getting caught once and I hooked into it and dumped it at the boat a second time last year. And both the times that it got hooked, it was coming off of that same stump that I had first contacted it on. Now, whenever I'd seen it on these other areas around that general area, I couldn't even get it to follow into the boat. I would just see it on side imaging and, 
you know, I could, I could even kind of keep it in my side imaging every once in a while, but I couldn't get it to follow in. But when it was sitting on that stump, it was in the mood and prepared to go. So once you start to figure out, okay, this transition line or, or this stump or this piece of structure, whatever is the one that they, they're, they're ready to go when they're sitting here. They're not just swimming around. They're not digesting. They're, they're looking for something. So that, that's a pretty fun thing to dial in on as well. I can't uh, disagree with any of that. That's for sure. The The beauty of it is there's definitely eater spots and it seems like there's digestive spots and there's just resting spots. Right. And so mm-hmm. you, know, you, you have to depict what that means. I mean, you might see some monkeys, but are they really in that place where they actually want to eat? And I think you kind of touched on that. That's, that's cool stuff. Let's move on to your season so far. I know that's something we want to talk about. Why don't mm-hmm. we talk about water temperatures, weed growth, fish activity? You know, let's get everybody a, an idea of what you've been seeing on the water. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that it, it's kind of I listening to some of the other guys that have been on the podcast here this this spring and early summer so far. There's a lot of stuff that seems to be kind of going on everywhere. Like water tubs, for example, are just crazy all over the place. Um, you know, I this last week I was seeing surface temps in the low to mid seventies, but we've been seeing them anywhere from like 65 to 83. I had one day that we started at 68 and ended at 82. (laughs) Um, so, you know, it's been kind of crazy, like, uh, unusually. So, um, in the variance this year, um, you know, I think the things are starting to stabilize a little bit more and, and thankfully they're hitting right in kind of like that low to mid mid seventies range right now which is a really good temper for bucktails and, and mid smaller size rubber um, to come into play out here. I've been doing a ton of pan fishing this year uh, just because the, the bluegill bite and the crappie bite have just been phenomenal on the chip. Um, so I really haven't even switched full on to muskie. I've uh, just done a little bit with my dad here. You know, one of the craziest things is we're seeing so many panfish. We're seeing so many muskies up chasing after our panfish. I think the week before the opener, I had four different muskies come and swipe bluegills off of my rod. And so they're incredibly well fed right now, which is a really promising thing to see for the population health. Um, but definitely makes it something where you're going to got to dig a little bit deeper, um, do things a little bit different. And, uh, every once in a while, just throw the playbook out the window and say, what what can I try today that I haven't been trying? Um, but we had so much snow and so much water in our snow this year, which I think is pretty common across the upper Midwest this last winter, that a lot of our shallow weeds were, were killed off. And that early season, um, we didn't have much for weed growth going on. I really didn't start to see consistent, healthy, thick weeds coming in until maybe a week, two weeks ago. Um, and the weeds that are coming in now are in slightly different spots than they have been in years past out here. Um, a little bit deeper all around, which is kind of fun to see just adds a, a different element to it. Um, for us out here, that's kind of led to a lot of those panfish being up in those super shallow areas. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen here with some of like the laydowns and, and shoreline, uh, you know, coverage pieces for the fish to, to glom onto because there's not as much shallow weed growth for them to be sitting in. I'll be curious to see if they, they kind of hug tighter to that wood structure um, this year. 
Dara, one thing let's talk about with, I guess it's kind of a, a misconception with the uh, flowage. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I've seen mostly dark stained water out there, but that's not always the case. Why don't you talk about like some of that? Cause I think, you know, everybody yeah. thinks it's this really dark tannic water and you know, you were kind of telling us that's not always the case. The Chippewa flowage is so big and so vast and diverse that like there is a lot of that dark tannic stained water, especially along that main Chippewa river uh, itself on the East side, you know, like one of my, go-to areas on this lake is is this place called crane lake um i get a lot of clients that come up from kind of that illinois wisconsin border and a lot of them fish lake geneva or other crystal clear bodies of water and so we go fish crane just so they can have a little bit of confidence for me i love that dark water i love especially uh, algae green stain water if you don't have confidence in it you know, I always tell people, don't don't try and fish the areas that you're being told are good on the Chippewa flowage. Everywhere is good. Fish the areas that you believe are going to be good. So if you're somebody that really wants that crystal clear water, get up to places like Crane Lake. The west side in particular, everything west of Herman's Landing, the landing resort, has a lot more variance. So some areas are going to be more pea, ste- pea green stain color. Um, and some areas do really get to be pretty sh- um, pretty clear. Over on the east side, that's where we get a lot of that tannic stained water. It's it's crazy. It's a night and day difference between the east and the west side. When you go underneath the bridge, you go right from rip beer brown to pea green each time. Even on the west side, or sorry, even on the east side, there's a lot more um, kind of diversity than people realize. Um, and part of it's the water clarity, but also part of it is, do you want to be fishing more river style fishing where you're looking for tight coverage? You're looking for moving water. You're looking for... Um, you know, these current pockets that exist or eddies, or do you want to be fishing more of an open basin style, um, you know, doing some open water casting or some trolling and the chip really has all of that. So you, you got to get out there and explore it and try different things. And, and also, you know, because it's so big, it's so diverse. People think that they need to, you know, have everything under the sun and try everything under the sun. But sometimes you just got to ask yourself what you're really confident in what you believe works and find an area where you can put that practice to use um, and just allow that to be kind of your guide for, for catching fish. Well, I have to admit, if I am on the chip, I will definitely go west. Uh, I've done that in the past. I like that water over there. One of the things too, I got to ask you, it seemed like uh, I've seen more tigers over in that neck of the woods too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, so I know this is kind of taboo on the muskie podcast, but the pike fishing on the West side is significantly better. Um, we see a lot of mid to upper thirties and even some low forties come out of this West side. Um, and that's part of where you get your tigers. Um, there's kind of like a little pocket window. I call it, um, between Birch Island, tiger muskie resort and big muskie resort that I think is your best shot at, at big tiger muskies it's really common that we're getting mid forties tiger muskies coming out of this lake, which is, I don't know. I think that we probably have your best shot at a big inland tiger anywhere in Wisconsin, right here on the Chippewa flowage. You know, this doesn't necessarily pertain to people catching more fish, but like the Chippewa flowage, what would you rate the, the population density? And is that all natural or is it get a bunch of stocking yet? We actually have quite a bit of both natural reproduction and stocking the dnr the resort association the homeowners association on this lake put a ton of effort into stocking both walleye and muskie 
but then just it has historically been able to maintain its natural reproduction even in the face of uh, angler pressure. So it's a lot. You know, I, the population density of this lake is is ridiculous. Honestly, I I can't even put into words how many muskies I've found on this lake. Different muskies, different areas. You know, these these Wisconsin fish, these naturally reproducing fish, don't tend to um, group up into pods. But I've got you know little weed beds that are maybe maybe an acre or two. They'll have three, four, five muskies hunting on them. You know. And it's just, it's ridiculous. This is a really tough fishery to catch fish on because there is so much historic pressure here. Um, but it's not because of any lack of population. Sometimes it's also just going back to the whole running gun versus sitting on the same spot thing. I know a lot of guys that come out here and fish muskies and they're like, yep, I saw a muskie in this spot 40 years ago. And I'm going to sit here and beat this spot until I catch a fish. And eventually they do, and that kind of reinforces their perception that this is the spot that has the muskies in the Chippewa Flowage. But in reality, if you got out and hit a bunch of more spots and really kind of like tried different things, you're going to find more fish. You're going to catch more fish, too, doing that. All right, well, let's talk about that, breaking down the Chippewa Flowage. Let's just say mm-hmm. you're up there for, I don't know, a week. You want? Do you have a process that you would recommend? I mean, would you spend the first four hours just driving around, like kind of if you can shorten a learning curve for somebody on such a big body of water, you know, Mm -hmm. within a five minutes, is it possible to do that? Yeah, absolutely. The Chippewa flowage, I always have a joke about it. If you're coming up here for a week and you want to catch a muskie, you better spend the first three days pan fishing. Um, Because the the first step, there's two first steps to me in, in figuring out how to catch fish on the Chippewa flowage. The first thing I'm looking at is where am I staying? There's so many good musky spots on this lake that you don't need to go far from where you're staying at to catch muskies. But you need to hit every little spot in that area in order to catch a muskie. So you're better off saying, okay, I'm staying at Deerfoot Resort and I'm going to fish this area around Deerfoot Island, Sister Island, um, and Pork Barrel. And I'm just going to focus in on this little stretch. And then I'm seriously, I go spend a couple of days, you know, during the day fishing for panfish, driving around, looking for schools of panfish, looking to find where I can get some active forage fish going um, because the muskies relate to that. And it also kind of helps you put into perspective whether fish are sitting out deeper, they're up tight in the weeds, um, just because they're all kind of following the same program to that level. So if you're out catching them on, you know, cribs and 21 feet on your first day, and then that shuts off and then they all move up into the shallow weeds. Well, the muskies are doing the same thing and they might be sitting out on the weed edge. They might be on the inside edge. They might be right in the heart of the weeds, but you know, not sitting out on the cribs. They're not hunting out for fish out on the cribs. If every of your bait fish went from the crib up into the shallow weeds. So the first two things to do are kind of break it down into smaller bodies of water, find where your area is at, find a bunch of little spots, spot on spots in that area. Second thing is develop a pattern for your forage fish, um, checking that out. And then the last thing is, um, you know, one one thing that I always kind of give a lot of my buddies uh, crud for is they're out buying every new fancy hot bait and hot color of every bait. Um, and then they come up here and they're trying to catch fish and, and I'm out catching them two to one. And 
I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to go with the classics and you got to figure out how to fish them better. Um, like I said, the chip has a ton of historic pressure. So these fish have seen every, you know, black and nickel bucktail presentation that we can think of. So you got to come out here and fish it in a way that really kind of puts it into perspective or, or really, you know, forces that fish to drive in on that bait and take it down. Um, same with your bulldogs. Um, you know, like I don't consider myself necessarily a natural colored bait guy, but, um, because there's nothing in my body of water that swims around that's all black or all white, but I do go simple with it. You know, um, I, you know, I'm all black with an orange tail or I'm all black with a little bit of white and orange in there. Or, um, you know, I'm looking for solid colors that give the fish a specific target to key in on more so than, you know, worrying about having every fancy bait, every fancy, um, color. And the other thing is, um, I think that when you kind of dial in and say, okay, the fish are up in the weeds. And when I'm fishing muskies in the weeds, I have a lot of confidence in, in my bucktails. Um, then you can focus on the fishing. You can focus on how fast you're retrieving that bait. You can focus on, you know, what, what, uh, sort of how you're doing your figure eight at the boat versus sitting there trying to think, okay, should I go to the bucktail? Should I go to the suet? Should I grab the Medusa? trying to rifle through all that different stuff. Sometimes it's easier just to kind of narrow it down a little bit. Um, and so that's, I think that the hardest thing about catching fish on a body of water, like the chip off flowage is that you can get intimidated by it. You can get into your own head. Um, and that kind of keeps you from being able to put your best foot forward out on the water. When you can start to break it down, simplify it and take some of that pressure off of yourself and just allow your, your fishing to do its, its work. You're going to have a lot more success out here the most effective baits on the Chippewa flowage are going to be, um, you know, uh, I don't want to be the, the Tyson Senate disciple again, but it's going to be your pacemakers. It's going to be your vexers. It's going to be your, your mayhem showgirls, right? Um, there's other ones that are, are really good different times of the year, but those are probably the three best all time baits out here. Um, but sometimes my, like my bucktails, for example, the ones that get hit the most are the ones that I've taken apart and rebuilt. Um, to do something a little bit different, whether it's, you know, putting a rivet in there, putting a different blade, getting a fluted versus a, a rounded blade or, you know, something just to give it a little bit different presentation. Um, and again, when you can kind of break it down and, and commit to simplifying things, then you can focus more on those fine tuned little details. Um, you know, okay, this time I was 10 feet off of this stump. Maybe I want to get five feet off of this stump. Um, you know, this time I was throwing a, a double show girl. Maybe I want to throw a single rabbit girl on the next pass around. Um, so again, just kind of figuring out a way that you can minimize what you're trying to look at. You know, earlier you'd mentioned that you're more of a run and gun fisherman. So how are you actually attacking each spot then when you're a run and gun guy, are you fishing it slower or are you just burning everything in and then running and gunning it to the next spot? You know, it really depends. Um, so much of the summertime here, we're going to just be burning everything in. I always kind of have a little bit of a progression going to, um, typically my, my front person is throwing the fastest bait. Um, I love to have a bucktail up at the front of the boat. Um, and then kind of slowly work it down from there. Um, you know, my favorite combo is to go bucktail on the front pacemaker in the middle. And then something like a Medusa or a Vexor or a Suic on the back that I can really give long pauses to. 
And once we start to see some action on one thing, that's when we kind of readjust. Sometimes you get, you got to go slow. Sometimes you got to go fast. It really just does depend on what the fish want. Um, I'm, you know, I'm going fast between spots. The other thing is like on the chip, there's big, long weed beds. And so more so what I'm doing is I'm looking at these long weed beds that I want to fish throughout the day. And I'm saying, okay, here's the outside corner on this one. Here's an inside point. Here's a set of stumps in the middle of this weed bed. And, and each long weed bed, I'm going to try something a little bit different, you know, to start out the day. I might start on an outside point and then hit an inside corner and then focus on the stumps. And if one of these things causes um, some success or some reactions, some follows, whatever, we're going to double back on some of these other weed beds and hit them from a different angle. We're going to hit a different part of it. And that kind of allows me as well to not burn out an entire spot while I'm dialing in a pattern. Um, it, it allows me to actually go back to the same spot and cast over an area that has not seen my baits at all that day. Yeah, the inside out or outside in, you know, the different angles, it can definitely make a difference when you're trying to put fish in the boat. Mm-hmm. No, and I think, you know, if you, I don't necessarily think that running and gunning is the only solution. Um, I've watched enough guys in tournaments never leave their spot that they're on and have a lot of success to, to dismiss that. But you, you got to be figuring out how you can attack those different angles, I think. And so you might do it differently in different spots. If you're a running gun guy, you might do it differently as you work through the spot if you're more of a slow, slow pace kind of guy. But you got to ask the fish what they want at the end of the day. You definitely don't want to argue with them. And uh, once you dial that in, stick with it until it kind of burns out, right? Absolutely. And that's, I mean, and that's the other thing. When you, when you got it dialed in, you know, you know, a certain pattern that you're, you're really try, uh, attacking, it's going to be the bait. It's going to be the, the casting angle. It's going to be the depth. It's going to be that transition line that we were talking about earlier. And so once it does start to change, it's like, okay, what's our pivot? How do, how do we change it? Um, and, and just being on your toes all the time, they're muskies. So you got to be ready to change it up. I was going to ask you about that, you know, the change up. So let's just say, I don't know, shallow weeds or whatever was what was working yesterday. Now it's the next day. So, you know, you're three hours into it. How long do you stick with that same pattern that, you know, on this, on this day, you know, yesterday you caught fish today, you've, you're three hours in, you've seen nothing. How long do you stick with that pattern before you go, you know, try something different? Um, you know, honestly, we, we've already tried a couple of things three hours in for me. If I've got a pattern that's really consistent one day, I'm going to run it for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half to start the next day. And if we don't have anything going on, um, then I'm going to start trying some other stuff. And I don't necessarily totally abandon the pattern that I had yesterday, but this kind of goes back to with the running gun. Like, let's say I get the shallow weed bite going on blades on, on day one and on day two, it's not panning out so far. Well, we're not going to totally abandon it. We're going to do that pretty religiously for the first hour and a half. Then I'm going to hit a couple of outside weed edges, um, throwing probably a little bit more of a vexor suet combo, but still blades out there because blades were working yesterday. And we'll do that for a spot. Then we'll, we'll try another spot. That's a really shallow weed spot. That's like a, just a money spot for me. 
that I know fish are on. And if it's still not working, then I'm going to, you know, transition even further into this outside weed edge. And I might even now start to put in some um, deeper cribs or deeper stumps as well. I'm looking for schools of bait fish out in the basin, um, in the main lake, um, just to try everything out. I think with the chip, you kind of, you got to be ready to change pretty quickly. Two, even if I've kind of totally switched away from that shallow weed bite, I'm going to go back on it at least one more time throughout that day when one of my kind of prime windows opens up just to see if it's just been a bad day, you know, because sometimes that's all it is too. It's not that the pattern changed, it just slowed down. So I'm still going to kind of have that in my back back pocket and think about it. But but we change pretty quick up here. So I'm always kind of looking for the next the next pattern as well as the one that we're on. I could be wrong, but I think, you know, musky anglers in general will uh will wait on a pattern for for too long. We'll we'll wait too long to make a change. Um you know, you'll ride memories for example or what happened yesterday for too long. I'll look back to you know, just the most recent PMTTs. I think it was the winning team and I believe they didn't even have a fish. They didn't have a fish on Saturday. And they didn't have a fish until nine o'clock, I believe, on you know Sunday, the second day. And well, so obviously mm-hmm. they were they, you know, they realized at some point that they needed to make a change off of what their pre you know their pre fishing patterns were, and you know they managed to put three fish in the net by making that change. Well, if, well, if they weren't and they hadn't made that change, they obviously wouldn't have won that tournament. And you'll mm-hmm. you know not to pick on the the guys that came in second. But in this instance, which you see it often, and I've been in tournament situations where we've done the same thing. We have a good first day, and you stick to that pattern for too long on the second day, and it burns you, and you end up, you know, dropping places. You still place, but, you know, it, it didn't work out as well as you hoped because you stuck to that pattern too long, hoping, you know, that your that your bite would, would be fine. And like I said, I'm not picking on the guys in second. They had a second-place finish in a you know, PMTT tournament, so that's awesome. But, you know, somewhere along, either that or they maybe made a change and it just wasn't the right change. But I, I've been in that situation before, like way back in the day. They had a best of a best tournament on Green Bay. And my partner and I, we were in first place after day one. We caught four fish and, you know, it was it was great, right? We were riding high on day one. Day two, first thing in the morning, I literally lose a fish. Like the whole field goes out to the bay. I turn my boat around. We go into the, you know, in back in we launch at the mouth of the river before i even got to the tower drive bridge i had lost my first fish of the morning so we're like all right pattern's still good nope that was it no more rips no more nothing turns out everybody was catching fish in a whole different area fish changed completely from where i was and you know great now i think we finished six that day or whatever so uh you know what was a real promising start wasn't because we didn't we didn't pivot and, and, uh, we, you know, we didn't make a change and, you know, obviously tournaments are, they're a good example of that, but that's just something that happens on a day-to-day basis, making decisions and knowing when to cut bait on a pattern or something is what separates winners from losers. In that case, like I said, we didn't make the right decision. So we came home, uh, we came home losers. Well, it's always tough to make that, that call on the right decision. Right. Like you said, sometimes you do change things up, but you just don't change them up. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, from what I heard of that, that Madison tournament this last weekend, you know, um, I'm just talking about the things that might make you decide to change on a pattern. 
obviously they had a huge cold front move in with big waves, right? And anytime that happens, I'm always expecting the fish to change their behavior. And, and like, sometimes it's consistent. Sometimes they're going to go, you know, always up into the weeds. They're always going to go out to the cribs, whatever. But, but sometimes it just means that they're going to change their, their behavior. Um, and so like, if I had a great pattern that going one day, a huge weather system moves in that, that overnight and is still going in the morning. Um, I might just start out the day on a totally fresh search. I might totally abandon my, my pattern from the day before, partially because I, it's easier to go back to the pattern that I had going on the day before than it is to switch off of it. If I believe that it's going to work. Right. So if I just start the day with a whole new pattern and that doesn't work, then, then I might go try out what I had going the day before, but I'm already in the mode of change by the time I get back to what was working yesterday. Um, so if that also isn't working, then I'm moving on to the third pattern for the day. And then talking about those guys that won down in Madison this last weekend, from what I heard, you know, they didn't feel like they had anything consistent going on through pre-fishing or day one of the pattern uh, of the tournament. And so they kind of looked at themselves and they're like, okay, what is our ideal way of catching muskies? What's our confidence presentation, our confidence approach? And that's what they went out and did. And, and that put fish in the boat for them. And so sometimes when you're, you know, on a body of water, like the chip for a week, and you haven't caught any fish yet. Um, you're going into your last day of your trip, you know, so you're a Minnesota guy that's always used to throwing big baits and open basin water systems and, you know, chasing after bait fish, go do it. It's not something that anybody up here is going to tell you is the most effective way to catch muskies, but if you have faith in it and you know how to execute on it, sometimes that's all that matters. All right, Dara, I guess it's that time of night or time of day or wherever, whenever people are listening, but into the end of the podcast, we kind of hit our, our designated time for people that are looking to get in touch with you. They want to learn more about your guide service. They want to come fish in the chip because they've heard how awesome it is. How do they go about doing that? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is to shoot me a text at 612-597-5132. Otherwise, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram under Cutter Services LLC. Um, I'm pretty active in replying to all sorts of stuff there. And um, if you want to get a hold of me to book a trip, I've still got openings here, especially, you know, in some of the prime musky conditions uh, in September and October. Um, but even if you're just interested in coming up to the Chippewa flow edge and you got questions about any of the resorts or where to stay, what sort of activities to do off of the lake. Um, I, I love this body of water. I love the resorts and, and my, my fellow business owners around me. And, uh, I'd be happy to help you just kind of organize and get settled for a great trip. Even if it doesn't mean that we're fishing together in my boat. So feel free to reach out anytime folks. All right, Dara. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. And once again, we want to thank all of our listeners for dialing us up on another episode. You know, whether you're running, jogging, walking the dog, cutting the grass, we want to thank everybody for, you know, making us part of your, your routine throughout the course of a week. We'll be back with another episode again next Wednesday. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This was an absolute blast, and I hope that uh, the listeners enjoyed it as well. 